Hi, it's Michael, the host of Impact Hustlers. And before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you get any value out of the episode today, please consider sharing it with a friend who would benefit from it. Or leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. We're an independent podcast and are investing a lot of time and effort in publishing inspiring new episodes every week. We can only do this because of people who support us. And now there is an easy way to do so. You can give us a small tip or a regular donation to make sure we can keep going. Every penny is invested into making the podcast even bigger and better. And you can do so on buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers buymeacoffee.com slash impact hustlers thanks very much for your support thanks for listening and let's get into the show impact hustlers the podcast on entrepreneurs and change makers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems impact hustlers is brought to you by fast forward 2030 and real changers visit fastforward.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact and this is your host michael shafrat In today's episode, I talk to May Al-Karuni, founder and CEO of Globechain. Globechain is a marketplace that allows businesses to list unwanted items, such as old office furniture. The items are then distributed to selected charities and SMEs. So far, Globechain has saved 5,000 tons of products from going to landfill and has saved charities more than 2 million pounds. It's great to have you on the show, May. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. All beginnings are small, and we briefly talked before recording this about how everything started. How did you discover the problem you're trying to solve and how did it all start? Yeah, basically, I used to work for an investment bank and we moved offices across the road and they asked us to pick our new tables, chairs, carpet color, and the stuff was in pretty good condition and we were keeping the building. So I asked, what are you going to do with it all? And they were like, we're going to throw it away. And I was like, well, there's a lot of people that could use these goods. And why is no one kind of digitalized waste and created a marketplace platform to connect these people together for people who need it? And we had around 300 people in the building and it costs around... 50,000 pounds per person to make the move. Obviously everything from labor and the cost of the move. But I just thought that's kind of commercial madness. And I thought surely there's a better way of like doing business and helping people. So yeah, that's how it started. So what happened before with that furniture? They were just to landfill and yeah pretty much i mean we're going back kind of nearly 10 years ago in a way mm. but basically there was no sustainability no reuse there's probably a little bit of recycling probably more on the residential but so companies would either have to pick up the phone to charities or people that needed it if they knew but that's quite intense and time consuming or they would dispose of it so it's either thrown what used to go to landfill landfills tend not to be kind of things dumped in there anymore it's more incineration mm. so it would be broken down and burnt all right. If I think about used furniture, I think about these, like, I don't know how they call thrift stores or something like yeah. these weird stores where you can buy it. It doesn't really look like a business, but more like a charity, right? Yeah. So how can you even make any money with giving away furniture? How does this work? Yeah. So um, it's really interesting because the psychology is every time I'd say, you know, we give it away for free because I'm like, it's eBay for free with data and they never quite got their head around it. And, you know, it got me thinking on like the new kind of generation of businesses, if you like 
like have got to be kind of commercial with a conscience. So I was kind of determined to prove that you could make money out of it. And I remember years ago when I was working in the banking world, because I used to fundraise as well for like hedge funds and things like that. And um, I remember one investor was saying to me, you know, business has got to make money from day one before I like look at it. So that always stuck in my head. And I just thought, how are we going to make money? And, you know, talking to different companies when they were disposing of goods, I realized it actually cost them a lot of money to dispose as the bank situation. Mm. And um, I just thought, well, why don't I do it super cheap for you, virtually connect people. And that's how we charge. So the way we charge actually is an annual or a pay as you go fee uh, for using the system. And obviously the redistribution charities or small businesses come and pick up. So we don't own warehouses, we don't sell the items. And that's how we make our money from the listing process. Mm. So when businesses are subscribed to your platform, they can basically constantly use it. And uh, whenever they do small moves or even just have a little bit of furniture to give away, they can put it there. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, what I discovered actually, people assume like it's just furniture, but, you know, kind of we organically grew one of two of our biggest main sectors are retail and construction. So mm. this is like fixtures and fittings and obsolete stock and it's construction material and it's in big volume. So, you know, over time we realized, God, you know, all this stuff is costing millions to dispose of. We're charging probably per construction site or per hotel, per restaurant, per shop, per year to use it and they can use it unlimited. So the idea behind it is they break even very quickly because even if they send X tons into a dumpster or a skip, you know, they're breaking even pretty much after just disposing of saving, if you like, on one of mm. those. So that's how it works. Um Talk me through how the journey is for the customers. So yeah. right now they would kind of call it waste disposal company yeah. and they would take care of it. They would pay them a bunch of money yeah. and then it's out of their mind, basically. How does it work with you? Do they have them more hassle, less hassle? How does the journey work for them to use your platform yeah. and how do you make it easier for them? So technology obviously is a big area around it. And I think um, one of the reasons we've been quite successful is kind of user experience, knowing what the customers want making it very efficient and easy to use and very simple, but also like the strength of our network because we've got 10,000 members. So the speed at which it gets reserved is like less than 24 hours. We had concrete blocks mm. go in like five minutes. The person hadn't even finished listing their list of things. I would say like, you know, the only kind of difference would be a bit of behavior change in the way people process and think that they implement the things internally in the companies they work for. So there's a little bit of education around that, but we realized like one Once they've used it once or twice, it's actually very quick. They don't actually change that much of their behavior. You know, they still have to put an audit together. They still have to take a picture of an item. They just stick it on a spreadsheet, whereas we can pre-populate it on a system hmm. and an alert gets sent out automatically to members and whoever's interested is requesting picks up for free. The only difference hmm. is the types of people coming are going to be charities and small businesses. And the data we collect on like social, economic and environmental impact is different from waste data. So there's a little bit more transparency on those stats. So, you know, it won't be like 98% is recycled when actually it could be incinerated. Do you know what I mean? That kind of thing. It's basically like 5% went to a children's charity and it got reused, you know, and this is how it helped. And this is how it helped people in employment and upskilling. So we do a different type of data to a traditional waste company. Mm. 
So you measure the social impact of the furniture. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Which we find has been really useful for companies. And most people think, oh, this is just like a PR trick for them. And actually it's the last thing companies do with it. What we found is in construction, they've used it to win tenders, show that they're more sustainable within their supply chain, how they utilize materials, as well as kind of on the retail side and the restaurants, they use it internally to motivate staff, KPI them, but also offset tax on products and they put it into their balance sheets and profit and loss, something called ESG data. So environment, social governance data that banks use to determine a little bit of the share price sometimes Mm. as well. I can imagine with your business model, the bigger the customer, the bigger the corporate, the better for you, I guess, right? You're trying to get quite big companies here that, you know, maybe move regularly as well and have like a certain size of furniture. You're not trying to work with tiny shops. Uh, both. both. So we okay. have two. Yeah. So the tiny shops, we call it the SME to SME mm. kind of model, if you like, and it's a pay as you go. So they can do the one off, as you said, they move or they've got a few bits and pieces. Normally they're charged per ton and they have to commercially dispose of it. So it's cost them a lot of money. So normally that's where you get a lot of fly tipping happening, illegal fly tipping. So that market's interesting because they don't have to talk to us. They can just go online and use it. They're not necessarily interested in the data. It's probably more driven by commercial. So saving money. But some, you know, once people use it, that kind of human aspect of doing good kind of comes out and people really enjoy like the nice messages they get. The big companies yet, obviously it's a volumes game. They take longer to come on board, but B2B, as some people know, they're loyal customers. They stay around for a long time. So all our clients have been around with us for gosh, like five, six years. And all we do is like improve the system and help them integrate more sophisticated kind of methods in there. So yeah, a bit of both. We appreciate like both types and on the members taking. Actually, the small and the medium-sized charities, social enterprises, NGOs, they're more interesting because they give really interesting stories. They're very grateful because, you know, there's no way they could afford a TV commercial to fundraise like a cancer research, for example. So they never get the opportunity to work with these big companies. And we we're kind of a platform that connects those together. Um, and they really appreciate it. And we get some really amazing messages. And also it's a really amazing domino effect to see where the items go as well, because um, it goes to the people that really need it. Mm-hmm. And how did you first start out in terms of your revenue or your business? Did you like just start selling? How yeah. hard was that? Or did you raise investment and then? Yeah, no. So basically a single female founder <laughs> goes out for like 150,000, please. The first question they ask is, what's your market cap? And I'm like, oh, there isn't one. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm making it up. <laughs> uh, so basically, um, but there was something in me like a gut instinct and I could hear the market talking. Like mm. I could, these companies were asking for things. So I thought, you know what? I remember one investor said to me, you know, come back with two clients paying 40,000 pounds a year and I'll give you 150. And I just thought, why would I do that? I'll go and get two at 40K and not get 150 of you because I could get another client for that price. So I just basically, I started, there was a lot of sacrifices, obviously like any startup. The first year we didn't make money, but I deliberately actually didn't ask for money. I picked a couple of big corporate clients that were very keen on pioneering and trialing it and just trialed it for a year. So I still actually worked and did it kind of like on the side. And I just wanted to test to see, would it go? What type of things? It was actually fixtures and fittings Mm. first for a really big global retailer and it worked. And then from that, the year after, we started to look at how much money they would have saved. And then from then I kind of worked backwards to work out, okay, well, this is what the modeling could look like. And then I'd ask them, would you pay this amount to save X amount? And they would be like, well, yeah. And I was like, okay, (laughs) pay it. So (laughs) then that 
that's how it happened. So it took about a year and a half before I started getting paying clients, small amounts. And I'd say by year three, we broke even because I kept it very lean. It was me with an outsourced team. And then it was only till year four last year because we were getting quite big global clients and the momentum's been building because of the economy and the sustainability side. That's when I managed to get a a pre-series, so 750 round of funding from a VC. Interestingly, from a VC, not social impact background. Interesting. Uh, Yeah, they could see the vision a lot more than some social impact funds. But Mm. I'd say now there's a lot more social impact funds taking this economy quite seriously. But before there was probably two or three that were a bit later stage. Mm. They would want something like half a million EBITDA before they would look at you. And to me, that's like a low risk. (laughs) So, you know, you're too late by then. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, but it's changed. The last year and a half, it's definitely, there's more and more in the market, some really interesting funds. Mm. that I think are really open to things. Mm. And you're still kind of looking at that venture model route, raising maybe some more money and then really scaling it huge? Or yeah, what's the so vision for in, the business? We're in a fortunate position that we bring money in. So our burn rate's actually pretty good. So touch wood, we technically, <laughs> if I don't go crazy on spending money, we're okay. But yeah, our next step really is the next fundraise would be like quite a strategic one to grow the team and the, improve the technology and definitely scale it. So we're already, dabbling a little bit in Germany, Frankfurt and Cologne and Madrid and Barcelona. And we've done Houston and Atlanta, Milwaukee, but our next step would be like New York. So um, the next series A, if you like, will be to seriously scale and grow the teams like outside of the UK as well. So exciting. Oh, what's been the hardest thing on this journey? From starting out to now getting to a certain scale where you're trying to manage all these locations. Yeah. The hardest part I think is keeping mentally stable (laughs) when, when it gets really tough. Cause a lot, a lot of, you know, fundraising isn't easy anyway, and it's getting harder and harder, you know, to get money for substance businesses, I call them something with a social impact. But I think there's been a couple of points where like year two is probably the hardest year because you know you're onto something, but you're still not earning enough money. You don't have a salary. It's pretty tough. You don't have help. You can't afford to kind of pay people. You're too small. But I think as it grows, the challenges are different. I'd say they're people challenges and growing the team. And, you know, a lot of companies when they get funding, you know, back in the days, companies had 10 years to grow a team, put structure in place, put HR in place, put systems in place. You have to do it in like eight weeks, Hmm. you know, and that was like a very steep kind of like intense journey because not only had to do that, but I had to kind of like get kind of the investors happy, get all the structure in place for investors, but also at the same time, I still have to run the business. So I would say that was challenging, but you kind of get over those things that stressed you out a year ago, don't stress you out now, Mm. you know, so you have a clearer and getting a great team is really important because you have good people, Mm. they make or break it. So Mm. I'd say that's quite interesting. Do you feel like people get it more what you're trying to do? That they like maybe when you first pitch things, they were like, uh, okay. Yeah, well, definitely. Definitely. And now yeah. they seem to get it. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, they used to say recycling, there's no reuse. Now they mm. can. I don't use the word circular economy, mm. but if someone goes, oh, you're a circular economy business, I'm like, yes, you've yeah. got it. <laughs> but yeah, I think so. And mm. actually, we've had less and less people thinking we're a charity mm. now as well. Mm. So it's definitely something kind of tipped kind of December, January this year, mm. where just the momentum 
films really picked up and, you know, there's a lot of TV and the media's put it more mainstream. So it's not a sell really. It's about like, how do we move quickly and fast and, you know, make sure everybody's happy like mm. service wise. Mm. So the demand for our services is pretty good. It's just really your classic marketplace challenges really as a tech company. Mm. Recently, IKEA announced they're going to trial a new business model. Let's see what happens, right? Yeah. But the whole idea that they would actually stop selling furniture or at least trial renting out furniture. And then you have like a subscription to furniture yeah. and a more sustainable model. Do you think you're part of this wider movement where these kind of things pop up and where companies try to be part of the circular economy? Is that definitely like yeah. a sign I mean, of this trend? Yeah, it's like a five million pound trillion, sorry, pounds industry. So there's a lot of scope. I think definitely like, I think we'll move into different markets and progress in different ways. I think these companies are going to have to, they'll either take on social impact, sustainable startups and integrate them somehow, or, but they'll have to kind of work parallel. They'll have to have two business models, exactly what IKEA is doing. They'll have to test and take risks because otherwise they're not going to have a business in the future. You know, people are either not buy your products because they're not ethical, organic, sustainable or on the other side is you just don't have a market anymore because nobody's buying. Mm. So I think it's like quite an interesting risk they're taking. It'd be interesting to see how they communicate that to stakeholders as well, like to say may not make money for a couple of years. So that's interesting, but I think they can get away with that because they're so big, you know, as a company. So they can swallow probably a bit of a loss for a while on that, but doing it in stages. So that, you know, they're being quite strategic, but it'd be definitely interesting to see how they mm. change their branding for that. Cause Ikea is known as a disposable furniture. So to me, it's like, is it going to be the same quality? And I'm just paying a rental when I can buy it for the same price? Or am I buying something like Pog and Pole or an, an expensive designer brand? Then yeah, I will rent that because <laughs> I could never afford it, you know? So yeah. the quality is different. Yeah. So then you've got to look at the supply chain of that and mm -hmm. the manufacturers and the people that they contract, like how does that affect mm. them and the pressures on them? Mm. as well let's assume this kind of movement continues and maybe companies like ikea transform more what's towards a rental model or so on yeah does that benefit you or is that actually something that you need to kind of adapt to as well if now suddenly all the companies are renting the furniture are you part of that or yeah. how does it work yeah i think you know i think that's going to take time yeah. and we can move really quick and i think businesses these days don't just do one thing if you look facebook google like anyone they diversify into many markets as a like a portfolio so they become kind of mega brands so i would hope and expect us to keep a bit of an eye on the ball in that sense and kind of morph into something where the industry's going but at the moment there's a lot to do on reuse so i think we've got quite a few good years doing reuse We're looking at kind of other avenues of certain things, but there's so many ways the market can go at the moment. It's about which is the one that's going to be taken up the most and how can we provide a solution for these companies in the future, like five years, 10 years, hmm. so on. Amazing. What I like about you, uh, what you're doing with Globechain is that maybe this is an industry that's perceived as unsexy or something that's, yeah. you know, it's, uh, but there actually is so much untapped potential. And I think those yeah. are always my favorite podcast recordings when I have founders <laughs> that attack problems, which not many people think about actually. Yeah. I um, didn't, I didn't grow up <laughs> wanting to work in waste. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's such an untapped opportunity, right? So yeah. what would your advice be to founders that maybe are trying to solve problems within unsexy sectors or sectors that are perceived as such by some people? 
Yeah, I think bring your like identity in it and your passion because, you know, I'm sure they're not boring people. <laughs> if they're entrepreneurs, they're quite dynamic. So it's about bringing that to the table. Don't do things because it's the status quo and people do things like when I set up Globechain, I deliberately didn't put it in green, you know, as a website color because green represents environment. And I'm like, this is not about that in a way. It's not about making people feel guilty. Let's put it more corporate, you know, because if you look at waste sites, they're always like black, red, green you know, so it's about like thinking of the smaller details like that and yeah, putting your personality in it, you know, and put some fun into it. I think that's the main thing and just, you know, keep kind of visionary, like don't be afraid to try new things because companies are open. If you're honest with them, they're really open to help. Like I've got these corporates on board, just me on my own for three years, you know, and all I did was I'm on my own. This is what I've got an idea. Do you want to test it? You know, and at the end of the day, these companies, there's people working for them and people like to work with people. And this industry is looking for new things. So I think if there's any time to be an entrepreneur, it's definitely now. And uh, yeah, I think just believe in yourself as well. Cause you know, there wasn't a market <laughs> when I started. So you just have Amazing. to believe. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Let's think about the next 10 years. If you think about globe chain and how the world will develop, yeah. what type of world are you trying to create? If yeah. globe chain is successful, how does the world look like in 10 years? Uh, a world with no waste. I think, you know, the cheesiness of circuit economy, but I think, you know, it'd be amazing if we, you know, we still have the life we want and the lifestyle everybody wants and, and everything that goes with it. There's no reason why not, but just have respect for people, planet, and just make it more of an equal playing fields, I think, you know, and it would probably help a lot of things like disease and famine, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'd love to see. Perfect. Thanks very much for joining me today. Wish you all the best for this journey and thanks for everything. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This was Impact Hustlers. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit fastforward.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impacthustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.